chapter 4, starting with verse 1. And it says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to come short of it. Now that's an interesting verse right there because it's the only verse that I've ever found where God encouraged us to have fear. Every other time, he says, be not afraid, fear not, don't, don't fear. But in this particular verse, the Holy Spirit chose that word in reference to this principle. And he said, let us fear lest you seem to come short of it. So this rest must be something so important that God wants us to have an overly concern in our soul about getting this rest. That it's something that kind of, you know, kind of drives it. It's kind of like if you were a person, for example, that was taking a medication every day, and that medication was what was going to keep you alive. Now, how would you treat that medication? Well, number one, you'd always be aware of how much you had, right? You're not going to run out of this medication, because if you don't get it, if you don't have it, you're going to die. And chances are you probably have a stash of it, like you have some extra, just in case, you know, like a storm hits and you can't get out to the store or whatever. So you're going to have a backup, a reserve of that as well. And it's always going to be something in the back of your mind. Something that you're thinking about. Something that you're monitoring. Did I, do I have enough today? Do I need to fill my prescription? Do I need to get this? Because again, it's your life. And that's kind of the, 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 the impression that I get as I look at this. He's saying, you know, you've got to be that concerned about entering into this rest almost to where it's like a fear in your life if you don't have it. It's a concern. And so it puts it in a whole different precedent. It's not like, well, you know, today I'm just going to rest in the Lord. You know, I'll be busy the next few days, but today I'm just going to rest in the Lord. It's an everyday thing. There's an entering into it. And it's interesting that he talks about entering in. Because what is this entering in? It's to go from one place to another that is a contrast. So if you're outside in the cold and you go inside, there's a contrast. You went from one place to another. It's not like, you know, I'm, I'm over here, now I'm going to be over here. Well, you're still in the same room, you're still on the same rug, you're still kind of in the same vicinity. But it's a contrast. You're, you're leaving one place that's different to go to another place that's completely different. And that's what his rest is like. It's to come into a being. It's actually to come into a place where something becomes aroused, something becomes ar arises up, 
Something comes forth and it shows itself. There's a manifestation of it. It takes you into a place where you're under an influence. And that influence that you're under is an influence that you carry with you. That when you go somewhere, the influence you're under is the same influence that you're giving out. And we see that with Jesus in the boat. You know, here, he's been praying, he's been looking to the Lord, and the Lord says to him, I need you to go over across the sea because we've got to take care of a, 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 a demon man, a demon-possessed man with a, with a legion of demons, and we've got to do some work over there. So after you're done here, I need you to go over there. And so he tells his disciples what his father told them. And he said, let us go to the other side. Now, before he did that, he got on the phone. He called Mike Lindell, and he ordered a MyPillow. <laughs> Put him bump, right? <laughs> so here he is in the boat, the back of the boat, sleeping on a pillow. And now the this, this storm is going. And everything is moving around. Everything is shaking. The winds are blowing. The boat is rocking. I remember once as a foolish teenager, we lived on the Milwaukee River. And a friend of mine, we decided that we were going to sneak out at night and go for a canoe ride. So we had crank out windows, took the, took the screen off, cranked out the windows, snuck out of the house, we both got in the canoe, and it was one of these windy nights. I mean, it was just howling. And here we are, out on the river, in a canoe, a tippy canoe, and we can't, we're trying to cross the river so we can go to this park, and we can't even get across the river. The wind is blowing against us so bad, we can't do anything. My friend starts freaking out. He threw something in the water. He had something. He was like, he didn't know what was going on. I, thank God there was enough common sense in me to say, let's go back. <laughs> so we got back and parked the canoe and decided to go back in the house. And you know, it's a bad idea to leave a window. When you live near water, it's a bad idea to leave a window open with no screen on it. <laughs> Because all night long, all I was doing was swatting mosquitoes. <laughs> well, you see, I didn't have, I didn't have the rest, the peace on, in me. I, wasn't, I was actually, <laughs> couldn't have it being disobedient, right? But here I am realizing and then trying to put my feet in the disciples' shoes. What were they going through? How was this, you know, what kind of a situation? I mean, these are experienced fishermen. And so whatever, you know, they're used to storms and they know how to navigate and they know how to work and direct the sail and the wind and all that kind of stuff. But this is one that really rocked their boat. It really got them. It got them so much so that 
they were getting mad at Jesus. You know, they weren't just, they just didn't say, Lord, help us. they like, Lord, don't you care? You don't care about us. We're going to die out here. That's how much fear these men were in. And of course, Jesus, who was in the rest of God, he got up and he looked at the situation and he rebuked the wind. Because he knew it wasn't the waves that were the problem. It was the wind. The source was the wind. The wind was coming from somewhere and he took authority over that wind and he commanded, cease, be still, and immediately it stopped. And then, of course, the wave stopped. And then he had a little conversation with his disciples. Now, it's what's interesting about his conversation with them is he didn't say, oh, guys, you know, uh, I know this was a tough one, and I'm, I'm glad you got a hold of me because I can take care of these things, and, you know, you did the right thing. So, glad, you know, don't, don't worry, don't be afraid. But what he did is he said, oh, ye of little faith. You know, if I had, I remember once we had a tree cut down in our backyard and there were, we wanted to keep the wood and there was all kinds of sizes of wood. There was some, you know, big logs and some medium logs and some smaller logs and I wanted to start stacking them and we had our granddaughter over who was probably five-ish at the time and of course, she, oh, Grandpa, I want to help. So I'm grabbing, you know, I'll grab the bigger log and bring it over but I'm not going to tell her, here, now you pick up this big log. I picked it up, now you pick it up. No, I told her to pick up these small weird ones. It was kind of funny. So she'd look for these weird ones. She'd go, Grandpa, I got a weird one. I said, bring it on over. Because I knew that she was not at the same strength level as I was, so I wasn't going to say, hey, you've got to do what I'm doing. That wouldn't be fair. But apparently, from what Jesus understood and what was available and what was provided for the disciples, they had the ability available to them to be able to do what he did. Because why would he, why would he chastise them, in a sense, by saying, oh, ye of little faith? That wouldn't seem fair, would it? It would seem unjust but he puts that on us because he knows that the same rest that he's in is the same rest that they need to be in. Now, of course, at the time, there were some limitations on them, but the day was coming when the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out. They're going to be filled with power from on high. A lot of this stuff's finally going to make sense. It's finally all going to click. And at that time, then they're going to need to know and operate in things the way that he did. I was listening to um, uh, Jeremy Copeland uh, last night, and um, he was telling an interesting story. Him and his dad, Kenneth Copeland, or Grandpa Kenneth Copeland, were getting in a plane, and in the plane, they were going to take off. And so as they got into the plane, uh, you know, there were a few clouds in the sky, didn't look too bad, but it takes a while to get everything, get all the instruments fired up, get everything lined up, and then you got to slowly maneuver the plane from the, from the hangar out to the, the tarmac, out to the field to where you could take off. 
And so this may have taken a half hour to an hour. And in the process of doing that, this storm came in. These, it wasn't raining or anything, but these huge clouds just came in. Really dark clouds, and they were hanging really low. And so Kenneth Copeland said, well, let's turn around, go back, get off the tarmac. So he started going back, and uh, he was parking the plane before he could turn off the motor. Because Jeremy was, he was teaching Jeremy, his grandson, how to fly or, or, or giving him a chance. Maybe he already knew how he was giving him a chance. But so before Jeremy could actually turn off the motor, Kenneth Copeland jumped out of the plane and started running down the tarmac, and he's told that storm, you will not do any damage to my property. This property is bought by the blood of Jesus, and you will not do any damage to this property. And he said immediately, this cloud, he said at first it let out a little bit of a rain, and then it just lifted up and all dissipated. So I probably scared the you-know-what out of it, and it took off. <laughs> Now, to some people, that sounds kind of out there, right? But the reality is God has control over all that stuff. And so we're always being tested in our life. What, what's going to have control over us? What's going to have influence over us? What's going to, you know, and we got to know where we stand. We got to know what we have. But it first has to be in us. And Jesus had that peace in him. He had that rest in him. He, he entered into that rest. He stayed in that rest. And we see that over and over in his life. All these different unusual situations where, to be honest, if it was me in that situation, I would be like freaking out. Now, hopefully that's all changing here as we're continuing to press in and, and get closer. And I think we're going to have opportunities to exercise our authority and the rest that we have in God and take authority over things. And I think we're going to see some pretty amazing things here before it's all said and done. And a lot of what God is doing here in the church and how he's ministering to us and the words that he's speaking to our hearts and how the spirit is moving, he's preparing us. I, I, it reminds me of a story. I was reading a book by David Herzog. And uh, he's a minister that's really tapped into the glory. And um, so he was, and I forget where it was. I think it was in France. And by the ocean. And these youth who were part of the family, so he was kind of hanging around with them after the meeting, before the meetings, um, so they were just typical kind of youth, you know, they weren't necessarily all in on everything. They had, they seemed like they were kind of not sure about what all this is all about. And, um, and so they had asked him, they said, uh, hey, um, do you want to go uh, surfing with us? And he was, it was, he was dealing with a little bit of a, I don't know, chest cold, but it wasn't really manifesting, and he thought, ah, oh, man, I don't want to get in the water with this, and the Lord said, go do it, he's like, okay, so he gets on the wetsuit, gets out the surfboard, and they come out to the water, and there's no wind, and there's no wave, and he's like, well, 
guys, we can't go surfing because there's no wind or no, you know, there's no wave. And he says, yeah, we knew that, but we wanted you to come out here because we know that when you pray, things happen. So we want you to pray that the wind will come and then the waves will come and we can go surfing. He's like, oh, great. But he could have got upset. God, why are you putting me in this difficult situation? Why are you stretching me this way? Especially on this day when I'm kind of dealing with a little bit of a chest cold. Why are you going to do this? But he didn't do that. He just said, okay. All right, Lord. This is, you, this is what you wanted me to do. This is your thing. So he walked out to the water. He said, waves come, wind blow now. And all of a sudden, these winds started blowing. Before you knew it, here comes these storms. Or not storms, but the waves. And those guys got so excited. They all went out surfing and they had a great time. And they got so on fire for God. They were like front row. They weren't in the back. They weren't out in the foyer. They were right in the front row. Every meeting from there on out, they were all in. And that's what God wants to do. Amen? Well, he entered into a rest. Now, when we look here a little further, it says... You know, we have to be careful that we don't come short of it. And, you know, it's not that we don't miss it. See, if you're, if, you're, if you're running for a goal, if you've got something in mind and you're heading for that, you could be in the right direction. You could have the right idea. You could have the right plan. You could be going in the right direction. But if somehow, some way, you lose hope, you lose faith, you may stop. You may say, you know what, this is as far as I can go. This isn't working the way I thought or happening the way I expected. And you could stop short of the goal. And that's kind of the impression he gives here. Like we're all, you well know about this. We're all trying to go after this. But don't stop short of it. Don't let anything get in there and make you stop short of it. Sometimes when you're, you're, you're in a race and you're running, there's a certain point where you feel like you're about ready to just lose it all. Your body can't go any further. Your muscles hurt. All this is going on. But then there's this, there's this other dimension, this other realm of adrenaline that if you just press in a little further, if you just keep going a little harder and you suck it up a little bit more, all of a sudden you hit the second wind. And then you just keep going. And you make it to the end. When they break the sound barrier in a plane, the plane, before they do that, that plane is just shaking and rattling and it's scaring the daylights out of the pilot the first time he does it because he doesn't know if the thing's going to fall apart. But he just keeps the throttle going and when he gets past a certain point, then it's all calm. So sometimes it's like flying into the, the eye of the hurricane. You know, it's turbulent. You're not sure. Things are blowing. But when you get in the eye, it's all peaceful. Yes, there's a storm. Everything's blowing all around. But there you are in that place where it's calm. You're in the rest that God has for you. And so that rest really means to be in that place where you're, call, you're causing 
distractions. You're causing disturbances to cease from having control over you. You're in a place of rest where you tap into God's nature and his abide and his presence. And then things just begin to manifest to you. I got page one done. Okay. <laughs> Only six more to go, so hang on. No, just kidding. <clears throat> so in this particular chapter, he starts to make a reference, and he says, first of all, for the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Now, he's talking about the Israelites when he says to them that they heard the good news. The good news was that God was going to take them into a promised land filled with milk and honey, that God was going to give them houses that were already built, that God was going to give them wells that were already dug. I mean, that's huge. You know, when you think about how primitive life was, just to build a house could take a year, just to dig a well with a shovel, not even a craftsman's shovel, just a you know, a piece of metal that was banged up just to have a point on it, you know? You had to dig down. Some wells are, what, 50 feet, 75 feet, 100 feet to get to that water. And God says, I'm bringing you into a place that has all of that taken care of. And, a matter of fact, the vineyards are already planted. You don't have to plant something and work with it and wait three years before it finally gets to a point where it's going to really give you a harvest. You're walking into something that's producing fruit in full force. This is great. That was the good news for them. But when they heard that, the Bible says they didn't mix faith in their hearts. For we who have believed do enter that rest. And he said, as he has said, so I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So he's talking about, in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, is where you're going to find this story. In Numbers chapter 13, they're finally at the point where they're ready to go in and take the promised land, and they get the 12 spies, one from each tribe. Joshua is one of them, Caleb is another one, and they're sent into the promised land, the land of Canaan, and they're there for 40 days. And their job is just to go and check it out, see how many people there are, see what kind of walls there are, see what kind of obstacles they may have, how strong do these people look. And then they're supposed to grab some of the, the fruits, if you will, and bring them back and show everybody. And so they're gone for 40 days. For 40 days, the Israelites are all sitting there going, oh, what are they going to say? What are they going to bring back? What's going on? You know, there's probably some anxiousness going on there. And then they finally come back. And so when they come back, the ten spies start saying, yes, you know, it is. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. And they had a big vine of grapes, and they were huge, and they brought them in, and people were like, wow, never seen grapes that big before. But they started to say, you know what? The inhabitants of the land are eaten up by these people. They're just so big. They're so strong. They're so mighty. And there's so many of them. And then there's the sons of Anak there, the giants. 
We saw these guys that were nine, ten feet tall. I mean, you think a basketball player is big? They'd have to raise the hoop on that one. And so they're starting to tell this, but they're telling it in like, you know, I think, uh, I think God really missed it here. I think he brought us to the wrong place. All of this isn't going to work out real well for us. You know, we're going to go in there and we're going to try, but we're going to die. Our wives are going to die. Our kids are going to die. And it was almost like they were just telling God, you messed up. And Caleb jumps out and he's like, no, their defense is gone. Their defense is gone. We can go in there. Let us go at once. We can take it. Come on, guys. We got God's word. God's promises. And they cried. The Bible says they cried all night long. If they didn't care about it, they wouldn't have cried. They really wanted to go in there. There was really a desire in their hearts to get what God said. But this challenge, this obstacle just seemed so big, so hard, so difficult. God, why? Why do I have to get where I need to go this way? Is there another way? Is there a back door? If there's some other way, Lord, let this cup pass. Do you remember somebody saying that once? But this was it. Now, what's interesting about this situation is that in their hearts, they believed that evil report, and it got them angry. You know, it's kind of like, we all know what that's like. Like when we've, God blesses us with something, we've, and all of a sudden, you know, you get a brand new car, and finally you get this car, and then the third day you're driving it, somebody, somebody bumps into it, and they put a dent in it. You know, and it's like, why couldn't that happen four days ago when I had the old car? And there's this frustration, an anger. And that's what they were going through. There was an anger in them. It was like this, I'm, I'm, I'm mad. I'm, they were really disappointed. They cried all night. They were mad. They were angry. They were, and then Joshua comes in and says, guys, we got this. God delights in us. God's promises are over us. God will fight for us. God will work through us. And he's just telling them, hey, don't give up. Don't give in. Come on, let's, let's get our armor on. Let's get our swords. Let's go after them. And the people were so mad that they said, let's stone them. Let's stone Joshua and Caleb. And they wanted to get some stones and make them into a, heap, a rock pile. That's anger. They were angry. And it was that unbelief in them. That unbelief that, that God would actually do something like that for them. That God would actually work on their behalf. 
that God would actually come into their situation and help them and turn things around and make their life a lot better and fulfill his word. That was just so hard for them. They were so bitter. All those years of being in bondage, all those years of being under oppression, under Pharaoh's oppressive army and taskmasters and being whipped and being abused and, and they probably spat on them and they probably called them names and, and all that rejection and all of that is inside of them and they never got that out of them. It was like there was new wine being poured into old wineskin and it couldn't, couldn't contain it. And so they couldn't receive it. And they complained. And they wanted to get a new leader. And they said, we're going back to Egypt. We have enough of this. We're done with this. We're going back to Egypt. We're going to elect a new leader. He's going to take us back. We're going to follow him and go all the way back to Egypt. It's better for us to die in the wilderness. It's better for us to die in Egypt than to go in there and even try. Does that make sense? Nope. And let's just say God was not feeling pretty good at that moment he was upset the anger of the Lord was there and he said Moses come here we got to have a talk his glory came down so everybody kind of got razzle dazzled with that nobody was doing anything because the glory of God manifested he took Moses aside and he said Moses uh, change of plans we're going to wipe everybody out you and I are going to start over we're going to do a whole new thing we're going to get a new nation even mightier than this one Stand back. Oh, get Joshua and Caleb out of the way, too, and their family. You know, he didn't say that, but I'm sure he did, you know, because they were, they were in faith. And Moses began to plead with God. He began to intercede with God. He began to say, God, you're a merciful God. Remember when you showed yourself to me and you said you were a merciful God and you were a God that was full of goodness and you're a God that would forgive and you're a God that would not hold their sins against them if they, if they you would forgive them and have mercy on them. And God, and, and, and one more thing, God, if you kill them, what are people going to think of you? What's going to happen to your reputation? What's going to happen to your name? People are going to say, God, you were not able to finish what you started. Do you want the rest of the people of the world to think that you are a God who is not able to finish what you begun? And God says, you know what, Moses? You make, you make some good sense here. <laughs> the power that we have sometimes, we don't realize with prayer and intercession, and how that we can stand in the gap for other people's lives. And so God said, all right, new plan. Here's the deal. Everybody that's 20 years old and under, they're going to live. Everybody that's over 21 or over 20, we're going to march around the wilderness for 40 years, one year, for every day, they spied out the land. For 40 years, we're going to march around in the wilderness until everyone that is older than 20 years old dies in the wilderness. Except for Joshua and Caleb. Man, that's a long march. 40 years. Joshua, knowing in his heart 
been in the land. Know that it's there. All he can do is just march around in the wilderness. For 40 years, he had to keep his faith strong. For 40 years, he had to keep his hope up high. For 40 years, he had to keep his focus on the Lord and just know what God promised is going to come to pass. Not 40 days, not 40 weeks, but 40 years. When it finally happened, Caleb was 80 years old. And he said, I'll take that mountain. That's a man that was building himself up week after week, year after year. No quitting him because he had it strong in him. But God said here that because of their unbelief, he said they're not going to enter into this rest. I have this rest. And this rest was the promised land. Getting into that place where God fulfills his promises was the place of rest. And a lot of times we're, we're in a situation where we're believing God for something. God has spoken to our hearts. He says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to provide that. I'm going to work this out in your life, whether it's a healing, whether it's a, a, a strengthening, a ministry, an operation, whatever it is. And in the process of him promising that, there's these challenges that come. And when these challenges that come, they're not convenient. They really put you in a pickle sometimes. They really stretch you in ways that you really don't want to be stretched. They put you in areas and expose you to areas where you just feel like you're very vulnerable. But it's in those times, in that frustration, that you have door number one or door number two. Door number one is God's invitation. He's saying, here's an opportunity for you to develop and grow and experience something you've never had before. It's an opportunity for you and I to go on a little adventure, to get on a, a spiritual ride, go somewhere, where, to boldly go where we've never gone before. It's an opportunity, it's an invitation for you to experience something in, from me being released in you. So if fear would be the thing that would keep you from going there, then you're going to experience a boldness, a courage, a strengthening that you've never experienced before. See, his promises give us an opportunity to become a partaker of his divine nature. And so in that moment, they had to decide. Door number one, accept God's invitation. Throw caution to the wind. Just go for it. Trust God. Or door number two. So when they decided to harden their heart, that word means that, that it means to to resist, and to become difficult. You know how it is when you're working with somebody, you're both working on a project, you're trying to get something done, and here's the plan, and you lay out the plan, and it's a simple plan, and it's, it's something that's been thought out, it's something that really does make sense, but you lay it out to this person expecting them to go, oh yeah, let's do it. And they go, well, wait a minute, I don't know, how's that going to work, and how's that going to work, and will that work, and how about this, and, you know, and all you're doing is continuously 
being challenged by all of these, no, it's not going to work. And there's this problem and that problem and this thing and what, you know. And that's what that word means. They hardened their heart. All these things started stirring up in them. All these different difficulties, all these different questions, all these different doubts, all these different things. Well, that's, you know, we don't, our swords aren't as sharp as their swords and they're bigger than us. And, you know, even, they even said that, uh, you know, we were like grasshoppers in their sight. All these different thoughts. You know, the Bible says that the carnal mind, it, it opposes, it resists the spirit. You can tell when you're in the flesh when the spirit is leading you to do something and your mind is coming up with all kinds of things, reasons why not to do it. It's that carnal mind. It's, 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 it fights against that. And so here they are. And instead of yielding, See, they had a moment there. There was a moment there where they could have said, God, you're asking us to do something so great. It's beyond our ability. It's beyond our understanding. It goes against the grain of my thoughts, my plans, my ideas. But you're God. You're God. You know what's right. You know what's best. You've got a plan. You've, you've figured this out before we even got here. You already had this thing figured out ahead of time. So I got to just trust in you to work this out, to make this happen. There was a preacher, his name is Mario Murillo. And uh, he was getting older. He's been evangelist all the way back from the Jesus movement in the 70s. And uh, so he's getting older and, you know, he's got some money set aside. And he's thinking maybe it's time to retire. This is back in 2019. Prior to that, I mean, he was, he was an evangelist. He would set up crusades and go to different cities, different towns. A lot of people get saved. And, um, but here he is now thinking maybe it's time to kind of slow down, chill, coast, whatever. And the Lord speaks to him. He says, I want you to take that money that you have aside for your retirement and buy porta-potties. Get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> Porta potties. Well, he was a man that knew the voice of God. He knew he wasn't hearing, you know, something weird. It was God. Wrestled with it. I'm sure he had to have some conversation with the Lord on it. But he could have hardened his heart, could have said no, but he would have got out of some rest. But he said, All right. I don't know why. I don't understand. Now, this is 2019. I have no clue. But this is what God said. So he bought all these porta potties. So then, 2020, we all know what happened in 2020, how much fun there was. Well, God told him, get your tent going, start setting up your tent, hitting different areas going in California, because now there's this vacuum. People are, are hungry. They want, to, they want God. They're, they're fearful. There's things going on. There's concerns and all this kind of stuff. And God's telling them, now you need to go out there full force and evangelize. So he goes to the municipality of wherever town he wants to set up. He says, I'd like to set up my tent in this park and uh, have a crusade. And they said, oh, okay. Um, well, as you know, a lot of things are closed down because of COVID. 
And one of the things that are closed down are all the public bathrooms. So the only way we allow you to set up your tent is if you have your own porta potties. There you go. And now he's going like gangbusters. People are giving him bigger tents. He's got thousands of people on the inside, thousands of people on the outside. And uh, God's just miraculously doing things greater than his own expectation. But see, he had to enter into that rest. When that word came to him, how do we respond to that word? Do we harden our hearts or do we submit to it? Do we yield to it? Do we give the Lord a chance? Lord, I'm going to give you a chance. Lord, Peter said to Jesus, he said, Jesus, if that's you out there, bid me to come. Could have been anything out there, said come. But he recognized the voice of the Lord. The Lord didn't say you have to jump in. The Lord didn't say you have to dive in. The Lord just said come. So at least Peter had one foot in the boat and he could put one foot in the water and go, oh, I'm, I'm standing on the water, you know, and then put the next foot in. Sometimes it's like that. But it's, it's that yielding that he's looking for. And when we do that, then that allows that spirit of faith. It allows that spirit of faith to work and to manifest. Because we're, we're, we're going towards God. We're, ye, we're leaning in towards God. We're, we're letting him take us and guide us. You know, sometimes people take faith and they, they try to make it into a formula. They try to make it into a mechanics. Well, I got to say this confession. I got to do this act or whatever. But it's the spirit of faith that God's looking for because Caleb had that spirit of faith. He, it says there in Numbers 14 that he had another spirit with him because he fully followed the Lord. And it was a spirit of faith. And so even though he saw the same things as them, the way his heart responded was different. And I truly believe that those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, he was having a rest in the Lord. Like I would picture that as being a real, a real bummer. <laughs> But I'm sure he had some time in the Lord that was amazing. And it, a couple of scriptures here that uh, go with this that are pretty cool. Uh, Proverbs 30, or excuse me, Psalms 37, 3 says, Trust in the Lord, do good, and you'll dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. We know trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. See that he's directing you into those places of rest. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spread out its roots by the river. And he will not fear when he comes, but his leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. And so he's saying those people that trust, that give over to that trust, that submission, to accept that invitation and the challenge to say, Lord, let's go to a place we've never gone before. Let's do what we've never done before. Let's step to that, to that level we've never experienced before because you're with me. And then he makes a reference in here in the same chapter about another reference to rest 
and he talks about the Sabbath. That the Sabbath was a rest. And you know, some people get hung up, well, Sabbath is a certain day. Is it a Saturday? Is it a Sunday? What day is it? Here Jesus is walking along. It's a Sabbath. His disciples are grabbing wheat from the field in their hands. And they're eating whatever, whatever they can grab. I don't know what, what it was. They kernels or whatever. They were grabbing it. They were hungry. They're eating that on the Sabbath, the holy day, where you do no work. Jesus goes into the temple. There's a guy who's got a withered hand. And they're all watching him. Is he going to heal on the Sabbath? Because that's working. So they're watching him. And he knows they're watching him. And he says to them, is it better to do life or to do death on the Sabbath? And they're like, well, I guess it'd probably be life. <laughs> they didn't answer him because they knew he, he had him. He told that guy, stretch forth your hand. And he did. And he was healed. And of course, their mind, they thought the Sabbath that they thought man was, was made for the Sabbath. That the Sabbath took preeminence over the man. But Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And I've created this Sabbath so that you could take some time and enter into God's presence. Just as God took time after he worked and he rested and he looked at everything that he accomplished and everything that he done, now I'm giving you a place where you can go, a place of rest, where you can enter in and look at all the things that I have done, all the things that I said I'm going to do, all the things that I've prepared, and you can get into this place and reflect upon all of this and know that where you're at right now is right in the place Entering into a work that you're going to do, but it's already been finished. It's already been provided. God's already figured it out. We don't have to figure it out. We don't have to try to wrap our head around it first before we do it. We just trust. And he's saying, you just take that time to soak in that, to meditate on that to reflect on it. And God said this. He said in Exodus, he said that this, this thing called resting in me, this thing about abiding in me and trusting in me and reflecting upon me and taking this time to just spend resting focused on me, that is going to be our special sign. Something between you and me that's very intimate, that's very special that sets you apart from everybody else on the planet is that you can take this time to come into this rest and be with me and see all the things that I've done and all the things that I'm doing and how I'm working and how I've completed things. 
sometimes, you know, we just get so busy with things. We, we're trying to do this. We're trying to do that. We got to get this. We have this deadline. We got to finish that. That's over there waiting. We got to finish this. We, you know, and we got all this busyness going along, and, and, and we get the weight of that upon ourselves, and we're not really realizing that, you know what, God's got it already all figured out. So, yes, it is a work that we do, but it's not a work of the sweat of our brow. It's a work in rest. Now, it is important to take a day and rest. Your body does need that, but you don't have to be in any bondage. Well, I have to do it on this day or that day. It's good to do that. You've got to balance your life out to have that. But what he's looking at more importantly is that rest where you know the works of the Lord. Psalms 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who heals all thy diseases, who redeems thy life from destruction. Just meditating and thinking about all the things that God has given to you and provided to you. If you read through Psalms 103, beautiful chapter, how the Lord has mercy, how he has pity, how he forgives us, how he's, he's, his angels are watching over us and all the provisions he made for us. It just keeps us in that place where we're not moved by things, whether we have enough or whether we don't. Paul said, whether I have a lot or a little, it doesn't matter because I am content in him. Paul even goes on to say this, and it blows my mind, and I have, I've always had a hard time wrapping my head around it, but he said, I and you are heir of all things. All things are ours. How could he say that? There's some things I still don't have. <laughs> but everything I need, I have. Everything that God wants for me, I have. It's already been provided. I already have it. I don't have to toil to get it. I don't have to, he even says, you know, in, in, in Luke, he says, don't be like the, the world where they're going out there chasing after this, chasing after that, wondering what they shall eat, what they shall drink, spending all their time doing this. He says, you know what, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, toil, whatever. God provides for them. Are you worth more than the birds of the air? Yes. So don't worry. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the things are added to us. That's rest. That's rest. So the, he has this rest. And then even he goes on to say David makes a reference to about this place of rest that still remains. Even though the children of Israel got into the promised land, God uses David to say it again after the fact so that he's letting them know that there is a continual, perpetual rest that still remains for the children of God. And we need that rest every day. Whatever it is you struggle with, do not allow that struggle to have authority over you. Don't allow that struggle. Because what happens is, when a person begins to murmur, when they start to question God and they start to murmur, a spirit of unbelief comes in. And when that spirit of unbelief comes in, it's like a handicap. It's like somebody just, you know, pulled your, your leg out of socket. You know, and you, you got a limp now because that's there. You can't run like you used to. You can't move like you used to. 
Yes, you're still moving, but there's that hindrance there. What is that? That's the spirit of unbelief. And it came in there because you murmured, because you complained, because you hardened your heart in a certain area. And then what happens is it digresses to a disobedience. All of a sudden now, you know, it's like, oh, I just can't make myself obey in this area. I can't make myself obey in that area. Well, it's a faith thing. Somewhere your faith got sidetracked through unbelief. And it's hindering you. And you can beat yourself over the head. I got to do this and I know better and I should change and yada yada. But it, that's not going to change you. Because you got that limp. So that spirit of unbelief has to go. It has to get out of there. And so sometimes you just got to go, okay, this isn't working. Where did I make a judgment? Where did I make a critical judgment of unbelief? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the spirit of faith. Lord, you said that you have dealt to each one of us the spirit of faith. That each one of us have that faith in us, Lord. Because that faith is a part of your nature and you're in us. And so because you're a God of faith, that faith is in us. We have the spirit of faith. We have the ability to believe your word in every area that you speak to our life. That ability is there because of the spirit of faith. And we thank you for that, Lord. And so, Father, we, we come before you. We, we ask you, Lord, we ask you, Holy Spirit, if there's anything that is of unbelief that got in, if there was any uh, judgment that we made that was an error, any hardness of heart that we've made an error in any certain area, Lord, we ask you right now to forgive us. We ask you to show us that so we can release it to you. So that unbelief can be removed wherever we struggle in obedience to you. Wherever that root is from an, an unbelief in your word, in who you are. Lord, we ask you to reveal that, expose that, bring it to the surface because your blood is so powerful that we can come boldly before the throne of grace, that we can find mercy and help in our time of need, that that thing can be uprooted out of us, that, that whatever, whatever force it has, whatever uh, legal ground it has from the enemy to work in our life against us, Lord, we thank you that the blood of Jesus can cleanse that and purge that and cancel that out and break that in our life. Just say this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the spirit of faith that lives in me. I have a faith nature that can believe you, follow you, know your voice, discern your will. And I thank you for that. 
in any spirit of unbelief. I serve notice upon you. You do not belong in me. You do not belong in my life. You do not belong in any areas of my life. So I serve notice on you right now that you have to go. Your roots go. Your deceptions go. Your hold goes. I am a believer. And I believe God. And I have a spirit of faith. And I will walk in faith. Because the just shall live by faith. And I am the just. Through Jesus. I take authority right now. Any, over any acts of disobedience. And I break that influence from unbelief in the name of Jesus. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And with my body, I offer spiritual sacrifices unto God. And I yield my members as instruments of righteousness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God.